Welcome to Mortals. A podcast where we explore how humans have dealt with death throughout history. From embalming and epitaphs to mourning and morgues. We're taking a look at rites, rituals, and practices from around the world. Mortals podcast is for the morbidly curious or the curiously morbid. This week, we're going to be talking about eulogies. Now let's get on to the show. Welcome, people. We are going to be talking about eulogies today, because after a year and four months approximately of recording this podcast, I realized that uh, our theme music is called A Mermaid's Eulogy, and we chose it for a reason. But we haven't ever taken the time to explain or dive into what a eulogy is. Oh, that's brilliant. So I was waffling on what topic I wanted to do next. I had a couple ideas. I didn't feel like I had the time to commit to them because I've been very busy at work planning events and stuff, which is part of my job, which is very fun, but also takes a lot of energy. Uh, And usually when I get home, I just... Zonk out? Yes, (laughs) precisely. (laughs) So I thought, eulogies... Uh, Let's just dive into a little bit. And honestly, I could have spent a lot more time trying to get into more of the history of it. Uh, But apparently it's really difficult to find this information because nobody seems to care (laughs) about the history of eulogies. Uh, Interesting. So I found some information, but not as much as I would have liked to. Uh, So I've added something else fun in its stead. So before we get started, Mariah, have you ever given a eulogy before? I thankfully, no. Uh, I think this would be like being asked to do a speech at a wedding at which someone would ask me to do something. And up until then, I would have been full of punchy anecdotes that were perfectly timed and well suited to the scenario. And upon being asked to do it, I would forget everything that had ever happened between me and the asker. Um, so I'm very glad I have not been asked to do a eulogy. I have, have however, witnessed a tremendous number of them uh, for reasons previously mentioned on this podcast. So, also, for context, I didn't know what the topic was prior to us doing the intro, uh, which is also what we did with the Anwick Poison Garden, which is why I'm like, ooh, that's brilliant. Because it is. It's a, it was there all along. Yeah, we kept our, our secret topics for these past two episodes, uh, just to see. Just because it seemed fun. <laughs> we usually don't do that. Yeah. Uh, I myself have never been asked to give a eulogy, as I said, I think, in the episode where we were talking with our friends in Seattle. Um, I haven't been to a lot of funerals. My family doesn't really do funerals or even celebrations of life, really. I think I've been to two in my lifetime, including one for the friend, or sorry, the grandfather of one of my childhood friends, so it wasn't even my family. But I think... After looking up the definition of eulogy, which of course I did because that's what I do, uh, Mm. I can pretty much say that the 
quote-unquote funeral we had for one of my pets that died, I pretty much I gave a eulogy. Oh. <laughs> if you can give a eulogy for a pet. But I was like eight years old at the time, so. And I didn't even understand what I was doing, but I yeah. did it. Because uh, it's just uh, ingrained in our culture at this point. It's been around... The eulogy has been around for so long. It's just something we see done on TV or it's in literature or you see it at other people's funerals. So it just seems like, at least in the social context that I'm growing up in, in Canada, just something that is done. So important to start off with. What is a eulogy? Definition. Uh, So a eulogy is a speech or piece of writing that praises someone or something highly Typically, someone who has just died, and these are frequently given at funerals or wakes or celebrations of life or something of that variety. Uh, There are subtle differences between all of those, which I assume at some point we will get into more detail. There's so many options for for episode topics. Yes. Yeah, but for now, at various mourning events. Exactly. Yes. Uh, Very important not to confuse them with elegies. Mm. So there's eulogies and there's elegies. Uh, which are similar in mood and tone, but they are specifically poems or written passages in poetic style. Oh, I've done one of those. Okay, so Mariah has done an elegy, but not a a eulogy. eulogy. And I had a little bit of uh, a moment trying to title this episode, and I had to look up whether or not it was an eulogy, because it's a, a word that starts with an E. But or phonetically, it sounds like a W or a Y. A, you, so you say an elegy because it's a, a elegy, but a, a eulogy because it's the phonetic Y sound. Linguistics Ooh. is weird. Speaking of linguistics, what is the origin of the word eulogy and the word elegy? Because they seem very same, same, kind of related yeah. to me. They seem like they'd share a root, right? They are a slightly different. So let me make sure I have this correctly. Elegy, they both come from Greek originally. Mm. Elegia, I don't know. Elegos, not great at Greek pronunciations, uh, which is what elegy comes from, is a word for lament. Okay. And then eulogy comes from eulogia, which is a combination of eu, eu, which means well or true, and logia, which is words. So together yeah. those mean like true words or praise. So it wasn't a uh, misnomer to say it was kind of like giving a wedding speech. I guess. Really, eulo- the word eulogy is very much associated with death nowadays. Yes. And there have been times when you can give a eulogy for a living person, but it's not really something that's done. It's a little gauche, maybe. <laughs> But it, it seems that the original conception went beyond just talking about people who have recently died. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so anyways, the the meaning of the word is true words or praise. And the word became a little bit more modernized in the Middle Ages, uh, medieval in medieval Latin, eulogium, and then eulogia, mm. which is how we now have eulogy. I'm not a linguistics expert. I just think it's interesting. So although elegy and eulogy are similar in our pronunciation nowadays, they don't actually have the same root. That's wild. Yes. I needed to sort this out and figure this out because 
I wanted to know. <laughs> uh, no surprise from the linguistic root that the history of eulogies started, at least as far as we can tell, started in ancient Greece. They began as funeral orations in ancient Greece, particularly in Athens, um, and they were yeah. known for a time as epitaphios logos, uh, logos meaning words, epitaphios, epitaph, memorial, that kind of thing. Um, historians have trouble pinpointing the exact date or like the oldest reference to these type of things. Um, somewhere between 600 BCE and 400 BCE, so before Ooh. Common Era, or some people call it before Christ. So that's a good half a century before even, like, Alexander the Great, right? Yes. Yeah. So as I said, it was frequently very much associated with Athens in particular. Yes. Um, and one of the earliest sort of confirmed associations between these funeral orations and a time, specific time period, was for an honor of the dead who died at the Battle Marathon. So in a lot of the context of ancient Greece and Athens, uh, what was happening was people were dying in war and they would have this big speech in honor of the war dead and the funeral oration, kind of the purpose of it was so that you could adequately eulogize the dead and give exhortation to the living, appealing to the children and their brethren to copy the virtue of these heroes and to the fathers and the mothers of any still surviving to offer consolation. So that's according to Plato, what the purpose of these eulogies were. It's like, here these people have died and we're going to speak to the living and kind of offer meaning to their death. So it is it is memorialization, which is something I've talked about before with the First World War memorials. It's much more for and about the living than it is for the dead. Um, yeah. It kind of is a reflection of societal values at the time. So seeing these people who have fallen in war as heroes and memorializing them as such impels society and the people who are still living to act in that kind of way. And so that's kind of how this tradition, the eulogy, started. Huh. It feels almost propaganda-y to be like, look at these dead and hail them as heroes and honor them by following in their footsteps. And... But... That might just be a kind of a cynical 21st century read on it, because there is definitely something to be said for for publicly giving value to their deaths. Yes, and I don't I know in some like particularly public and political context, it can be considered propaganda, but it's not always that it's consciously done. It's yeah. that that is the value that that society is placing. That's what the social discourse is saying is important. Mm -hmm. And they're making the conscious choice to say, we need to make meaning out of these deaths. Yeah. And here's how we do it. Because these are the things we value. And these are how we want to honor and remember these people. Yeah. Not to say that they didn't exhibit those qualities or what have you in life, but... 
when someone dies, you don't want to denigrate them typically. Yeah. Uh, so it's common to attribute values to them. And I don't want to say inflate, but in some cases, maybe inflate yeah. that sense of those values in that person or those people. Yeah. Pericles's funeral oration, according to Thucydides, is one of the earliest recorded epitaphios in full. Oh, wow. So Thucydides was, Thucydides, have hard trouble saying Greek names, was a, an historian in ancient Greece. And so he is supposedly recorded that. I am not going to read it out because that would take far too long. Uh, <laughs> but so these are kind of the, the earliest records that historians have to go on. Not to say that eulogies and that kind of tradition didn't exist beforehand, may not have been recorded, may not have survived. That is the nature of studying history. Not everything gets saved. Yeah. And so not surprisingly, the intertwinedness of ancient Greece and ancient Rome, we find yeah. traditions like this in ancient Rome as well. In that context, it was known as laudatio funebris. So kind of lauding funebris. I don't know exactly what that means, but it sounds like the word funeral to me. Um, yeah. And in the context of ancient Rome, it was typically associated with noble families. Although, again, that is because the common folks' records weren't saved. So we don't know if it was ha something that was happening in more common folks' funerals or burials and that kind of stuff as well. It's just that the noble families had their records saved because they were, quote-unquote, the important ones. So yeah, this is what we know. The, yeah, could afford the papyrus or whatever and the people to do the note-taking. To be recorded in history. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, and these uh, laudatio funebris were usually given by men, unsurprisingly, although elite women could and would sometimes deliver them, although it was quite rare. And unsurprisingly, in the very rich families, the eulogies would talk about the successes and the good deeds and the, the honor that the deceased bestowed upon themselves and their ancestors, kind of like what I was talking about in the context of ancient Greece. It's about memorializing and making meaning out of their death and saying, look at everything this person accomplished in their life. They were important. We should remember them. And not always were these retellings of their grand deeds accurate or true. <laughs> uh, in some cases, the delivery of one of these laudatio funebris would be used to try to elevate a family's status, to try to get a political in. Um, for example, young Julius Caesar made one of these in honor of his aunt Julia. And this speech, this eulogy, underlined his own claims to divine and kingly ancestry, which apparently helped launch his political career. According to... This was on Wikipedia. Do we trust Wikipedia? It's not as bad as some people might think. Uh, True. Like I said, I would love to dig into this further, although not everybody cares as much about the history of eulogies and diving into these deep things. It would probably take some uh, primary source digging, which would take a very long time. It could, it could be your magnum opus. Uh, <laughs> 
it reminds me of, especially with Julius Caesar in that point in time, it reminds me of the way that the, um, the like trusted bodyguards and close friends of Alexander the Great immediately spun his death and his life to their own political ends uh, immediately following his death. Yeah, absolutely. And I was thinking about that as I was going through and doing this research. I was like, I can't, I'm trying to remember what Mariah said about Alexander and, and after he died or after his friend Hephaestion. Hephaestion died. What was said about him? Did he um, kind of inflate the importance of this man? And a lot of what we know about Alexander himself, is it inflated because of this meaning making and this aggrandizement post posthumously posthumously how do you say that word posthumously after his death basically um i think i'm starting to think about this a lot yeah how much of history is because was yeah and julius caesar was like a fan of alexander as like a historical figure as well so who knows maybe a little bit of that uh leaning in to try and gain some godhood came from eulogizing aspects of the aftermath of Alexander's death, or maybe it was just a trend among political hmm. leaders. Taking lessons from the goat. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe. Who's to say? Uh, maybe me one day digging into this further. Although I cannot read. I'd have to learn to read ancient Greek and Latin probably to get really into it. And I'm not the classics expert. So, Maybe. So that's what I had about uh, ancient Rome. And then here's where the resources got pretty thin and people didn't seem to care as much <laughs> about eulogies and how they were practiced uh, through the Middle Ages and into the Renaissance. There was not a lot of information that I could find or that was easily accessible. I started to kind of peruse into journal articles and stuff, which would have, a lot of the times journal articles are very specific, like histories, studying very specific things, um, which is not super helpful when you're trying to get an overview of a type of speech <laughs> that has existed <laughs> for over 2,500 years. They're also um, often behind a paywall. Which yes, a there was a little bit that I could get into um, through JSTOR, but good old JSTOR. <laughs> the the undertaking of trying to see everything that was written about eulogies, uh, it would have taken me to a lot of very tangential things where eulogies would just be probably a small part of the content. Um, and honestly, probably would have taken me several months <laughs> to get through. Yeah. Um, so here's just two very short examples of things that I found about eulogies in the Middle Ages and the Renaissance. And it kind of reflects what I've said before, that societal values are imbued into eulogies at funerals, even in these time periods. It's just something that is a common thread throughout so, for example, I read a journal article that talks about women and women's funerals in particular in the 1600s. Um, and this is a quote. While commemorations of deceased men in early modern funeral sermons tended to laud public virtues, it was far more common for eulogies of women to index the personal piety and devotional conduct of the woman in the sphere of the home. Which... 
I did a lot of research about gender and that kind of thing. In my degree, it was an area, a lens of specialty that I very much enjoyed. And a common thing that arises when studying gender in the early modern period through to the late 1800s, early 1900s, is the separation of public and private spheres. So men in the public sphere and women in the private sphere. So it doesn't surprise me that when you were trying to honor and laud a person at their funeral, if they're a man, that you would laud their public virtues, leadership, financial success, financial success, all that kind of stuff. I'm like, what is a public virtue? (laughs) (laughs) And then uh, as far as women, like piety, uh, being a good wife, running a respectable household and those kinds of things. So that doesn't surprise me that that was uh, a trend of what was said in women's eulogy or eulogies about women. And then another thing that I found was about funeral orations or eulogies at funerals of humanists. So in the Renaissance, there is a an intellectual movement called humanism mm. that interestingly, turns back to the time of ancient Greece and ancient Rome, basically pre-Christianity, valuing democracy, valuing humanities and things that are exclusive or not exclusive. That's the wrong word, but things that are particular to there's there's a right word somewhere in my head. Basically, things that don't have to do with Christianity and religion and piety and those kinds of things like exploration and interrogation and curiosity for the sake of learning if that makes sense yeah i'm like i would take a pamphlet on humanism sounds pretty good so far (laughs) i love my definitions so let me i want to make sure i'm getting this right i know i studied humanism briefly in philosophy but did it didn't that's part of a period of time that did not stick the 1700s just don't exist in my brain Okay, here, very short sentence that encapsulates what I'm trying to say in a much more succinct way. Renaissance humanism was an intellectual movement typified by a revived interest in the classical world and studies which focus not on religion, but on what it is to be human. Mm. So being kind for the sake of the well-being of other humans, not because... God will punish you, basically. And I'm simplifying, I'm oversimplifying it to an extreme, but basically that's what I'm talking about. Uh, Now, back to the original point. So funerals of humanists, typically the, the eulogies would emphasize the contributions that these people made towards progressing humanism and like a, not a turn away from religion, but turning the focus away and quote-unquote progressing humanity because of that so like their contribution has advanced humanity because of it if that makes sense interesting so like a revival and a revived interest in what it means to be human philosophically uh morally regardless of religion in this time period so the funeral eulogies are lauding these people for their contributions. Like I very much like in ancient Rome and ancient Athens, 
whether or not they actually contributed as as much as the funeral eulogy givers are portraying. Uh, that's not to say I feel like I'm giving a false impression that eulogies are lies. They're not. Pe- when people are in grief, they feel the importance of this person that's missing from their lives. And we want to remember them as great people. Uh, and that's just our natural inclination. So I'm not hating on eulogies by any means. I just find it interesting that this is a trend <laughs> across history. Um, yeah. and, and there's a big difference between a eulogy given for a public figure and a more personal or individual funeral that's just for the people who knew them and they're just a person in their community um, rather than a famous person or a king or uh, a politician, what have you. Yeah, I don't want I don't want to give the impression that I'm ragging on eulogies in this. I do find them quite interesting. This is just from a uh, an an academic perspective. I find this trend <laughs> yeah. curious. It's interesting to see what kind of lenses can be applied to a person because the idea of a in a humanist's case, their status as a humanist becomes such an important part of the eulogizing rather than being kind of just a participant in humanism, kind of the same way that people will talk about, um, you know, supporting feminism, but not identifying as a feminist, not taking it on as an identifier, but as part of a larger schema of, like, actions and codes of conduct. And so it's, it's interesting that there is kind of that... There becomes that slant on it and that kind of grouping community-wise, because like we've talked about, particularly with the um, animal funerals medley that we did in season one, that the kind of the loss of a community member is part of what fuels the grief, is that it imperils the survival of the rest of the community. And of course, that's just my conjecture based on everything we've learned doing this and my own observations about people. But it, it rings true with that kind of grouping of steers and lenses with the deceased and probably the parties who are delivering the eulogies. I don't know if any of that made sense. All of it left my brain the second it came out my mouth, so I cannot reiterate or explain. That's okay. It was interrupted by Freya, my cat, wanting into the room. So, um... the baby. The baby. She's whining. Of course. That's okay. Um... Yeah, we want to be part of a community and we are part of a community. And when we're gone, the people we leave behind want to make sense of that and explain why we were important in the larger scheme of things. Which brings me to the next part. So that is what I could find on the the history of eulogies. And now I found some examples of eulogies. And I'm not going to read them all, but um, I will read some of them. So famous eulogies or eulogies that I thought were interesting examples thereof. Um, In Shakespeare's Julius Caesar, there's a speech by Mark Antony about Julius Caesar after he's died. Apparently very famous. I never read Julius Caesar in high school, but uh, the friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. I come to bury Caesar, not to praise him. And so on. So that's a very famous one in in fiction or in literature. I don't know if this would be considered a eulogy in the typical sense, but I feel like for a lot of people 
born after this book was released. It's probably one of our first experiences with the topic of death, uh, and that is Charlotte's Web, after Charlotte has died. Um, So they don't have a funeral for Charlotte in the book, but Wilbur has some, the pig has some words for Charlotte's daughters. And also the narrator has uh, some kind words about Charlotte as well. So I wanted to share these ones because I think it's cute. So Wilbur, this is Wilbur's words about Charlotte. Uh, Joy Arania Nelly, he began. Welcome to the barn cellar. You have chosen a hallowed doorway from which to string your webs. I think it only fair to tell you that I was devoted to your mother. I owe my very life to her. She was brilliant, beautiful, and loyal to the end. I shall always treasure her memory. To you, her daughters, I pledge my friendship forever and ever. And then... The narrator's words about Charlotte, which is towards the very, very end of the book and usually makes me cry when I read it, but me reading out loud, I will not cry. (laughs) Wilbur never forgot Charlotte. Although he loved her children and grandchildren dearly, none of the new spiders ever quite took her place in his heart. She was in a class by herself. It is not often that someone comes along who is a true friend and a good writer. Charlotte was both. Very succinct. Um, so I really like that one. And then, uh, another example in fiction, and I've just included this one because, um, it illustrates a point that I'll come to a little later, but, uh, I've been watching, rewatching Brooklyn Nine-Nine recently and Mm -hmm. spoilers. If you're interested in Brooklyn Nine-Nine and haven't seen season seven, skip ahead like a minute, I guess in the podcast here. Um, But Captain Holt's eulogy for Madeline one, she was like his mortal enemy is really great. Uh, So basically in Madeline Wunch's will, she forces Captain Holt to give the eulogy at her funeral because she feels like he won't be able to resist denigrating her. And therefore he will Uh, lose the respect of fellow cops and his career will be in jeopardy and blah 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 but instead through the episode and all the the hijinks that ensue in the end this is the eulogy that he gives at her funeral which is very short and regular eulogies are much longer but for tv sake it's quite short so he says as many of you know madeline and i were bitter rivals but i've come to realize she held a special place in my life No one challenged me like she did or made me feel as alive. Our relationship was like an epic chess match. And it's hard to believe she'll never make another move. And then his phone chimes. And he says, unless... No, it's just a notification. Chatter's doggy toothpaste has shipped. So, she is gone. (laughs) And I wish she were not. I will miss you, Madeline Wunsch. So... He doesn't end up denigrating her. He ends up speaking truly about their relationship and being honest about it. But it's impactful nonetheless um, because it's true and because it's personal. Yeah. And also, Cheddar's toothpaste is... <laughs> yes, I love Ch- Cheddar the dog. Best character. Actually, Captain Holt is my favorite character from the show, but... He's so good. Cheddar is a corgi and is adorable, so how can you not love Cheddar? Uh, so those are my examples from fiction, and then some famous examples um, from history. This is just a very small smattering. Um, very, very short list. But a famous one is Oprah Winfrey's eulogy for Rosa Parks. Um, mm. So Rosa Parks 
if you don't know who Rosa Parks is, I don't know how to explain it to you, to you listeners in less than a sentence. Uh, civil rights leader Rosa Parks. <laughs> Oprah Winfrey's eulogy, she ends up talking about how she idolized and looked up to her as a young girl. And Oprah credits Rosa Parks for one of the reasons of her own success. So personal meaning in the eulogy there. Um, another famous eulogy is the Earl Spencer's eulogy for Princess Diana. So Princess Diana was his sister. Princess Diana dying in the, in the 1990s after a car chase by the paparazzi. A very shocking death. And he starts it off as much of the world was in shock. Uh, I stand before you today, the representative of a family in grief in a country in mourning before a world in shock. We are all united not only in under in our desire to pay our respects to Diana, but rather in our need to do so. So that's another really famous one. Yeah. Um, and then another one that I added to the list just because... Just because... <laughs> <laughs> um, Steve Irwin, who's the crocodile hunter, um, at his funeral, apparently his daughter Bindi Irwin gave a eulogy. And it was very personal. Basically, my daddy was my hero. He was always there for me when I needed him. She goes on about all the wonderful things he did to help animals, um, the work that they did together as a family, and promises, basically asks the public, like, let's continue the work that he did throughout his life. And that's the way that we honor him. I think she was eight at the time. She was quite young. Um a very mature eulogy to give. Um, Losing a parental age up. Yeah. Yeah, so that's um, that's another one. So those are some examples of eulogies. Obviously, there's been many more. A lot of the ones that we would have accessible to us and recorded, of course, are of famous people or things in literature. But eulogies happen every day because people die every day. Okay, we come to the, the next section of the episode and that is how to write a eulogy (laughs) in case the listeners are wondering so i consulted the wise minds on the internet uh funeralwise.com for tips on how to write a eulogy so if you are in the future asked to write one or to deliver one write one and then deliver one because usually you'd write them yourself here's some tips so first off remember your purpose You're there to remember someone who has died. You should be honest about how you felt about them and convey your love and respect for the person. Hopefully, if you're being asked to give a eulogy for someone, it is someone you love and respect. So hopefully you're not going to denigrate them, which comes back to what I said earlier about uh, the Brooklyn Nine-Nine eulogy. Unless you've been Madeline Wunched. Yes, but even then found a way to be respectful and convey honesty about their relationship. What to include, according to FuneralWise.com, what to include in your eulogy. Uh, Highlights, major accomplishments and significant events in the person's life. Attributes, what was the person like, and memories, special moments that give insight and evoke emotion. Um, And this is a big thing, is usually when you're asked to write a speech... You want to be a little bit more clinical about it, but when it comes to eulogies, it is specifically a speech about a person who has died, and to connect with your audience, bringing your emotions into it is 
it can be dangerous in the sense that you might not be able to deliver it because you're overcome with your emotions, but that is how you are going to be able to better connect with the audience because you're there for the purpose of remembering this person as a collective. So it's kind of a, a fine line to walk. There are ways that you can keep your emotions in check while still being honest and heartfelt about it. Uh, and we'll get to that in just a moment. This would be good to know because if I'm talking about things that are emotional, I 100% cry and then cannot talk. It is a problem when one needs to articulate a strong emotion. <laughs> yes, I feel like I could make use of this outside of the use of writing a eulogy. <laughs> okay, yeah, so... Top life tips from funeral-wise. Yes, yeah, so here's, in brief, the step-by-step -step for writing funeral eulogies. Okay, so they advise, first, talk it over. Spend time with your family talking about the memories that you have about this person. This will help you bring everything up to the surface and kind of pinpoint the things that you really want to share about them. After you've done that, make a list of the things that you definitely want to include, and this will help you sort out kind of structure a little bit. After that, it's advised that you develop a theme. So a theme isn't something like dad's time working at the pulp factory. I don't know if that's a thing. The <laughs> pulp factory? <laughs> Anyways, it's not that. A theme is like a unifying statement that encapsulates something like like dad was dedicated in all his endeavors it's yeah. something that you want to convey the overarching so you can use specific memories to convey that that's kind of what a theme is and we use this in museum interpretation as well what is the thing that you want the people to take away at the end after they've finished reading your uh exhibit or watched your video or whatever your whatever content you're creating is the, yeah. the theme the the overarching to, idea yeah to put it real crassly what's the vibe yes exactly uh so they advise that you create a theme for your eulogy and then create an outline so take all those things the the memories the the list of ideas the theme what you want to say about this person create an outline and then you just have to start writing which is one of the hardest things to do is to just start writing. And this is true even if you're not writing a eulogy, even if it's just yeah. you're trying to write anything. Yeah. Uh, just sit, sit your butt down and start writing. And then in things that are intended to be spoken to an audience, it's very, very important that you, once you have a draft, you read it out loud and edit it because... If you phrase something awkwardly or if something doesn't really make sense or a sentence is a run-on sentence, it will become very, very obvious when you read it out loud. And if you're stumbling on it not in front of an audience, you would definitely stumble upon it in front of an audience, especially in a situation where you're dealing with your own grief and a room full of people that are also in grief, it would just amplify that. So definitely read it out loud after you have a draft ready. And then definitely get some feedback if you're comfortable sharing it with other people or you can edit it yourself, but advised to get some feedback. 
And then once you have your final version, practice it. And this is important, especially in the context of a funeral eulogy, because there is so much intense emotion involved. Though it is important to convey your emotion and be honest and heartfelt and forward about all those kind of things, if you feel that you're going to be overwhelmed by your emotions, the more you practice it, the more rote it becomes and the easier it will be to actually deliver on the day without basically bawling your eyes out and hyperventilating, which <laughs> I tend to do. I tend to not be able to speak when I'm overcome with emotions. So yeah, got to practice enough just to get enough autopilot to get through it no matter what. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So they also provide some uh, some do's and don'ts of eulogy writing, and I won't go through them all, but I'll I'll pick a few that I think are, are good. Good, useful advice. Do discuss how the deceased affected your own life in a positive way. So this is important to be personal about it, to not be like those eulogies that we talked about in ancient Rome and ancient Greece, where they're... Um, just talking about someone's accomplishments in a very detached way um, yeah. or in a very abstract, large way. Like, get very personal about it. And that will not only make it easier for you to write it and to deliver it, but also connect you with the other people that are there. Because that is another function of a funeral is to connect you with the other people who also cared about the person that you lost. Yeah. The don't <laughs> also related to what I said before about Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Don't use this as a chance to settle an old score. <laughs> <laughs> if you have a history with the deceased that you can't overcome, it's better to ask someone else to write and deliver the eulogy. Yeah, you can save yours for when you're drunk at the wake later. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, and or for a journal at home. Yeah, you're exactly. You're a therapist. <laughs> save it. Save it. Not appropriate for a funeral. Uh, so those are my, my selected do's and don'ts. There's a lot more, and you can look this up yourself. I don't want to just rip everything. I've been summarizing what Funeral Wise is saying, but those were exact readings, so I don't want to plagiarize their website. Um, yeah. And then I've kind of condensed uh, their tips for delivering, actually delivering the eulogy in, in so many words. So this is the essence of what they've said. So relax. Don't try to give a perfect speech. As I've said before, um, emotions are an important part of this. Conveying the way that th this person made you feel is an essential part of delivering a eulogy. Um, so it doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be honest and from the heart, and it has to be from you. Yeah. Uh, embrace your emotions. Dealing with your emotions when delivering a eulogy is to be expected from everybody. Yeah. Everybody is there for the same reason. It's, it's a moment of grief. You don't need to hide the fact that you're emotional about it. It can, being emotional about it can make it difficult to actually physically get the words out. And so that can be an issue, and that's where practice comes in. Um, getting it yeah. just rote enough so that you don't have to stumble or sob or cry, hopefully. And if that's still an issue, consider avoiding eye, direct eye contact with people in the crowd because that can amplify 
the emotions if you see and connect with someone visually in a moment because they're probably feeling very emotional as well. So if you just kind of look at the audience as a whole, as a unit, rather than focusing in on individual people, it might make it a little bit easier to actually deliver. Yeah, especially um, if you're someone who cries upon seeing someone else cry. <laughs> yes, the advice they give is that, quote, emotion is contagious. It is. If you see someone cry, you may also cry. Or if someone in the audience sees you about to cry, they may start crying and then everybody's crying. Yeah, and you may not expect that you're going to cry, but I don't think a comedian knows how many jokes they're telling until they're in front of an audience, right? So I, the idea of how you think it's going to play out and the way it's going to go at the time that you're presenting or performing something are very different. Yes, isn't that like a whole thing, uh, kind of a whole theme in Bo Burnham's Inside, <laughs> that he is writing and recording this comedy without the presence of an audience and therefore he doesn't know how it's going to land. Yeah. I don't, calling the whole thing comedy is a little bit tragic comedy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Considering how close to home it hit for a lot of us during the pandemic. Yes. Yeah. Not haha funny, but like haha in a bad way. Haha <laughs> in a this hurts. <laughs> this hits too close to home kind of way. Catharsis. Yes, uh, exactly. Uh, next on the list is speak slowly. And we're finishing up the list very quickly here. Have a backup. So if you feel as though you want to give it a try to read your eulogy, but you're worried you won't be able to make it through, have someone who's willing to take over for you if you become emotionally overwhelmed in the moment. So that's yeah. something that... The audience is not going to be disappointed because you can't make it through. It's, it happens. It is to be expected at some points. It is a funeral. You've lost someone. Everybody who's there has lost someone ostensibly important to them. And that's why they're there. Mm -hmm. You're not a failure just because you can't make it through. Uh, you're emotional and emotions are human. Yeah. So that's, uh... <laughs> My condensed version of uh, the advice on how to deliver a eulogy thanks to funeralwise.com. They probably have better tips than, say, WikiHow, the yeah. ever premier source of procedural <laughs> information on the internet. <laughs> I don't know how um, empathetic WikiHow would be in these kind of things. They don't. Or I how mean, over explaining it would be. Jack of all. Trades, master of none. I know that original phrase is, is longer than that, but yeah, if you're trying to give instructions on how to do anything, I don't know how detailed and helpful they can be in very specific situations, yeah. especially when it comes to dealing with human emotions. Yeah. Get death and grief and all that, though I'm sure they try. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, so we're reaching the end, but before we finish up here, I did take a moment and consider, well, does everybody do eulogies? And again, kind of like the, uh, Middle Ages, history in the Middle Ages of eulogies that I was able to find some information on, but very difficult to source a lot of information on. Uh, mm -hmm. I didn't find a whole lot other than specifically 
Catholic funerals officially discourage eulogies. What? They Why? instead use something called homilies, which to me it seems maybe this is blasphemous. It seems like a eulogy that is specifically religious. So it's just a eulogy huh. by a different name. Um, the opposite of the humanist eulogy. I guess. Uh, so I didn't write down my source. I'm a bad historian. But this is a quote that illustrates the difference, according to a Catholic priest, I think, the difference between a homily and a eulogy. Uh, so the homily given after the gospel by the priest or deacon is an interpretation of the person's life by reference to the suffering, death, resurrection, and ascension of Christ. Huh. So a remembrance of the person in the context of their faith and Christ and God and all that kind of stuff is what a homily is. Um, so focusing on religion them as a person through the lens of religion is what it sounds like to me. It's, I wonder how close to the deceased the priest typically is. Ostensibly, they'd be part of their... Part uh, of their congregation. But is, I don't know what... I, I know the there's different terms depending yeah. on which uh, denomination or whatever you are for the, the people who attend church. Um, yeah. I don't know what it is in Catholicism because I did not grow up religious. So I have very little context for all these things. <laughs> Same here. It Yeah, that seems like, um, at least in my mind, that seems like a key difference between the homily and the eulogy as well. So the eulogy is from a place of a, like intimate connection, um, whether that's, you know, romantically intimate or not. Um, versus the homily, which seems to be a little bit farther away, right? A little bit more in line with the classical eulogies of ancient Greece, where it goes through this lens of virtue and of uh, cultural values hmm. as a means of valuing the dead. That's interesting, because when you're part of a religion, that is a specific discourse and culture that you're embedded in and so yeah. in that context those are the values that are important talking about them through the lens of faith and were they a good christian and what that means and going into a little bit more about like god and resurrection and all those kinds of things so mm -hmm. I, I definitely see the connection there as you're talking about their virtues but in a very specific way relating to yeah. their religion. Yeah. It does seem like a, a religious eulogy. Uh, yeah, Catholics, which I mean, please don't come for me. <laughs> but I mean, like, the connection between, like, Catholics and the ancient Romans is kind of a, a pretty direct line. Um, as far as I understand history, history of religion, which is not a lot, but from what I understand, Catholicism and Christianity kind of share a root in the Roman Empire. And the whole Christ situation. Mm -hmm. um, and given that Rome kind of reskinned so much of ancient Greek culture to be Roman, all of this could be completely wild conjecture on my part, as I am not a historian and my knowledge is sporadic and specific. Um, I, th I think in a general sense that uh, that's... 
that kind of nails it. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of details that would add nuance and to those kind of things, which is the nature of history in, in general. You can talk in generalizations and be pretty accurate, but once you get into the the lower level of things, you got to be very specific and yeah. allow for gray areas and all that kind of stuff. So Yeah. Again, don't cite us as academic resources. Imagine you're at a party getting a wild set of facts and stories about death from us. <laughs> Not only that, but uh, advice on how to write and deliver a eulogy. Yeah, which I, I keep coming back to this, but I guess you could also use this advice for a wedding speech. Yeah, be personal, be emotional, be honest. Yeah, have a backup if you, if, if you can't deliver the whole thing, uh, either for crying or laughing. Yeah. That was my uh, substitution for the lack of in-depth accessible information about the history of eulogies was how to write a eulogy. So yeah. Yeah. It is interesting to me that that is something that we don't have more accessible records of, which suggests to me that there is a hole in kind of the research in academia around uh, death studies, which I don't know how deep or how old that particular sort of study focus is for those who are not already in death care roles, um, like those working in funeral homes, in emergency medical services, uh, in mortuary services, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. I think the problem with eulogies in particular is two things. First of all, they are orally delivered. Yeah. So therefore not written record unless they are written down, which comes to the second point. They may only be written down in the case of funerals for very important people. So yeah. the history of eulogies and the stuff that I've covered that's talking about uh, praising their virtues and things like that is yeah. biased because the sources that exist are about people who were essentially public figures. So their importance is not only to the people in their lives, the very personal connections, but also to the communities as a whole. So yeah, if there I... were more records about the common people and what was going on <laughs> at their funerals, I'd be very interested. Uh, maybe in our modern age with records being kept of everything and social media and all that kind of stuff, recordings and videos. I don't know if people take videos at funerals. That seems like something someone would some people would do and not find disrespectful. Um, I, I think that's an interesting discussion, too, that I think a lot of people are going to have going forward, especially due to the COVID-19 pandemic that started in 2020, is the nature of kind of remote funerals. And so it'll be interesting to see if the kind of digital video distance aspect of our modern technological system will creep into the very human parts of the funeral, the eulogies, the like photo presentations, the elegies, and all that sort of thing. And if, you know, you might end up with cases of people not being able to make it to a funeral for some reason and like pre-recording a eulogy. Zooming stuff. in. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, I'm curious to see how that will change going forward and if there will be much kind of meta research about the nature of the eulogy, not necessarily the specific eulogies. Hmm. Or if anyone will think to examine that until much later. Or just the fact that 
eulogies may be in the digital record moving forward. Yeah. And in the future, people will be able to learn about more common folks' eulogies, what being said about them, the trends, and how people are being talked about after they've passed away, uh, like 50 years from now. Yeah. People studying what kind of eulogies were being given, what was being said about people who were dying during the COVID-19 pandemic, for example. Um, yeah. And of course, the, the role of literacy probably plays a lot into having a lack of records from that time. So that even if people were, you know, preparing and practicing things, if there were systems in place specifically to keep working class and low like low income bracket people from gaining literacy, which was a thing up until I think like the 1890s, which is I believe when they abolished the window tax in the UK. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of record we have going forward and if that will spark um, a look into trends going back as well into how eulogies were presented, who was giving eulogies, in what context, under what circumstances, yeah, and hopefully it'll get you thinking too about, I mean, just about eulogies in general and the way that we remember the people that we love with the people that loved them too. I like that. Perfect. Yeah. That brings us to the end of this week's episode. Uh, I hope the listeners, you learned something today, uh, whether it's the linguistic root of the word eulogy and the fact that it's different than an elegy or even that they're two different words. Maybe you didn't know that or maybe you learned how to write one. Uh, I hope some piece of information that I've shared today sticks with you and maybe you can share it at a party <laughs> in the future. Yeah. Or share it with someone who has the responsibility of writing a eulogy for a loved one. Enjoy the mermaid's eulogy. Mortals Podcast is created, hosted, and edited by three morbidly curious individuals, Christia, Mariah, and Janine. You can find us on Twitter at Podcast Mortals, on Instagram at Mortals underscore podcast, and on our website, mortalspodcast.com. Show your support, access bonus content, and help us keep ads out of your ears by joining our community at patreon.com slash mortals podcast. Our music is A Mermaid's Eulogy by Etienne Roussel. Thanks for listening, mortals. Take care of yourselves out there. My chair, she's so creaky. Why did I choose this chair again? Nah.